welcome to another episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Pagard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today. I'm looking forward to walking through the Word with you. For this episode of the Mobile Word Podcast, we're going to be uh, focusing on the letter to Titus. Um, Typically, of the podcast, we've taken um, different scripture verses uh, from throughout the Bible uh, to kind of guide our podcast study. Um, What I'm going to start doing for the next several weeks is going through the book of Titus. Um, there's a, there's a, a great value to going throughout the entire scriptures and going through the entire Bible, um, to hear God's voice and to seek his wisdom and, uh, and to be in that dialogue with him. And we'll keep doing that in the podcast. We'll keep going through different books and, uh, um, jumping around, you know, from different verses, uh, and, and trying to kind of get the cumulative collective, voice and message of the scriptures by doing that. Um, so that's something we're not going to stop doing. But just recently, I felt like I wanted to stay on on one letter or one book uh, for a little bit of time. You know, I've talked about it before. There's there's a great value to uh, taking a step back, you know, having kind of the, the, the 10th floor of a building view of the city. Um, we can go higher than that, maybe like the 70th floor of the building view of the city where you can see everything. You can see the great expanse of all the different neighborhoods. You can see the things beyond the city that the people on the ground level can't see. Uh, There's a great value of doing that with the scripture. So the equivalent to that would be um, taking a step back and doing what we've been doing for the time that we've been doing the Mobile Word podcast, which is, you know, going into Kings, going into Romans, going into a gospel, going into Genesis, you know, going from from one extreme to the next, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and relating all of it back to Christ. Uh, so for a lot of what we've done on the Mobile Word podcast is the 70th floor of a building uh, strategy or approach. And what I'm hoping to achieve with that is something that's been a great value to me in my faith is seeing God's word spoken um, consistently and and fluidly throughout all of the books of the Bible. Uh, what I try to get people to stop um, thinking about or, or 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 stopping at is this understanding that when you want to hear certain things from the Lord or from God, you go to certain books or or only certain things are said in this section of the Bible. And that's just something that is just not true. It's not represented in the entire canon of Scripture. The The messages of Christ are as powerfully and as directly spoken to us through Genesis and through Leviticus and through Numbers and through Chronicles and Kings. It's one con- con- consistent and continuous line from the beginning of the Bible in the beginning to the amens at the end in Revelation, there's a, a, a solid line, not various lines and not parallel lines, but there is one line from the beginning of Scripture to the very end, and that all is joined together and points to Jesus. That is something that we've, we've been doing on the Mobile Word Podcast, is taking a verse that's either suggested to me by someone um, through email or something that I've just, you know, wanted to study and and trying to find that thread. And that's something that I recommend you do um, all the time as you're reading scripture and you're you're 
reading something in the Old Testament, you know, the way to make it relevant to you is to make it relevant to Jesus. Once you bring it to Jesus, then it's relevant to you. So one thing we've been doing is trying to 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 display that, trying to encourage that in going from different books of the Bible. But the other way to read the Bible, and you have to do both, you can't just stand back and jump around. You know, sometime you have to go down to the street level. You've got to get off of the 70th floor and you've got to go down to the street level because on the street level, that's where business is happening. That's where your neighbors are walking to work. That's where there's traffic. That's where you're sitting in the traffic and experiencing the emotions and the tension of actually being in it and not looking at it. So you have to have both. And the equivalent to that in scripture or the study of scripture is to take a section and to really spend time in it. When when I was living in Korea, they had um, two train lines, and uh, there's a there's a great um, public public railway system in Korea that goes north to south, um, basically between Seoul and um, and Busan, which is the southernmost kind of largest city. Uh, it goes other places, but there's kind of a, 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 a north to south railway system that's that's most frequently used by commuters and travelers and to ride that railway system you have two options one is the the high speed train it's called the KTX and that is significantly more expensive for the ticket but you shave a lot of time off because you can get from one end of the country to the other end of the country in a short amount of time the other option is you have the slow train and it's called the Mugungwa, and that takes a lot more time, but it's a lot cheaper. The difference is that when you just want to get from south to north or north to south fast, you take the KTX, and there you see a lot of the country in a short period of time. If you want to see the country, you know, the railway system that goes through villages, it goes at a pace where you can actually see what you're, what you're traveling through, you take the slow train and you forfeit a lot of time because it will take you a lot longer to get to your destination, but your experience in the slow train will be much more scenic because you'll actually be able to see the land, the villages, the different cities that you're traveling through. And it's the same thing with the Bible. So for the next several weeks, all that to say, for the next several weeks, we're going to be in Titus. So we're going to take it small chunk uh, by small chunk. We're not just going to take one verse and um, extrapolate on that or, or teach on just one verse at a time. For the first uh, podcast today, I'll take the first four verses, and I'm basically going to be kind of uh, divvying it up how it's kind of separated in, in the NIV that I'm reading. Um, those subheadings are there for a reason because of a change of topic or a change of subject, and they typically run true when you're, when you're looking at what Paul is talking about or where his frame of mind is in terms of his teaching. So I'll typically follow those. So I'm guessing next week will probably be verse 5 through verse, let's look at that, verse 15. So to the end of chapter 1, then we'll take the next section in chapter 2. So I'm guessing this will take us maybe four weeks, maybe the next month or so, um, feel free to read it in, in its entirety, uh, study it on your own at a different pace, but that's what we're going to be doing for the next few, uh, few weeks. 
So like I said, we're going to be in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading out of the NIV. If you have a different version that you prefer, go ahead and, and stop the podcast and take out your version and read through those first four verses or read the entire letter to get the context of the voice and the trajectory of Paul's teaching to Titus. Um, I won't be giving a lot of context on on Titus and that relationship. I'm just going to go right into what Paul is getting across to Titus in this letter. So again, I'll be doing the first four verses today. Feel free to stop the podcast, read your own, and then rejoin, or listen to me read from NIV, and then pause and read your own afterwards, whatever you choose. Um, Then I'll pray, and we'll get into the teaching. Okay, let's go ahead and read. This is Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and that his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Okay, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the teaching. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to spend time in this letter. I thank you for this letter. I thank you that we can seek you by the power of the Holy Spirit and seek your guidance and teaching in this letter. Uh, So, Lord, I just ask that you guide this study, guide each of us as we are listening from all over the world um, at different times and in different places in our lives. But I know that the truths that you hold to be relevant and true uh, in the name of Jesus, I know that you desire for those truths to be heard and understood by all of us, no matter where we are or who we are. So in Jesus' name, I pray that the teaching that you have prepared for each of us individually be brought forth by the power of the Holy Spirit in this letter. Bless this endeavor to study your word and to and to converse with you through this letter and help us to grow in abundance in our faith in Jesus Christ through this study and through this letter. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm just going to go through the first four verses, like I said, and it, it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot there. Um, one thing that's common with, uh, with Paul's letters is he always has an introduction, um, and, and it's an introduction that it, it's common how you would write a letter at that time uh, to, to set up who you are and to set up um, what, whatever relationship uh, that, that letter is pertaining to. Uh, so this isn't just a Paul thing. This is something that would be common in correspondence at that time, and it's also common with us. Um, we don't do it in the same way exactly like Paul, um, but we all we all, we typically will identify who we are um, or the purpose of our correspondence when we're writing um, to someone, especially someone that that's not just family. If it's just family, um, you know, a friend, a casual note, we typically won't identify ourselves to this extent. But there are uh, uh, numerous times where you're corresponding with, uh, in, in official terms where you will state your name, who you are, why you're writing. And that's typical, um, more typical in the time that Paul is writing, even to people that he deems family. 
you know, he says to Titus, my true son. So we would think in a modern mind, okay, if it's his son, why is he using such a formal introduction? But it's it's a difference of time, um, but this was typical in the time that Paul's writing the letters. But we have, we have similar... Uh, similar approaches to correspondence in our modern world, um, even if it's by email uh, or texting, uh, especially when it's something that's important or official. The, the the mistake is that when we read Paul's letters, and I'm I'm guilty of this too, is that because his introductions are so similar to other introductions and in other letters, and because it doesn't seem like something that's that has much meat in it. Uh, there's not a direct teaching in his introduction. The the mistake or the trap is to blow through it in the same way that you'll blow through the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew and Luke, in the same way you'll blow through names, lists of names in the Old Testament, especially in the first five books of the Bible when they're doing um, the, the names of family members, uh, when they're talking about the priests and the musicians, the gatekeepers. You know, these are lists that, because there's not an obviously apparent lesson there, it's easy for us to say, well, there must not be much there for me. Now, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed, and we know that all Scripture is alive and active. So we have to remember that, that that's not all Scripture except those areas of Scripture that seem irrelevant or boring but it's all scripture. And like I said, I'm guilty of that too. When you're reading, and especially when you're crunched for time, if it's your morning reading and you're running late and you want to get to something that's convicting or, or, or something that's that's got some meat to it where you can take that into your day and use it, and you're stuck reading page after page of names, and not to mention names that are hard to pronounce, names that you've you'll, you've never seen before or that maybe you'll never see in the Bible, names that are foreign to you, literally, it's hard. It's hard in those moments to stick with it and to remember that all Scripture is God-breathed and all Scripture is alive and active. But that's the truth. That's what the Scripture says. That's what we have in Christ is God's Word coming to us through the scriptures. So even in those sections, those lists of names, or the the the, the measurement and the specifics to the, the building of the temple, or all of the, the 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 items in the temple, even though those things don't seem like there's a a clear lesson in them, we have to give them a try. We have to you know, we have to use a lean into it. We have to just stop there for a moment. And if we're not feeling like there's something there, we have to ask God, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have that openness because of Jesus to have that conversation to say, God, am I missing something? How is this relevant to me? How can I take these names and apply them to my job that I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to going to today, and I know that there's struggles, and how is this going to give me the strength? How is this going to give me the wisdom to persevere and to succeed in this job or with this the relationship or whatever it is that you're facing that you're hoping the Word will provide that strength and wisdom for? So talk to Him. Talk to Him in those moments and say, make this relevant to me. And like I said earlier, 
by making it relevant to Jesus. Go through Jesus. He is the gate. None can go to the Father except through him. It's the same in our Bible reading. If it doesn't seem relevant, make it relevant to Jesus, and that will make it relevant to you. 100%. That is an amen statement. And I have to remember that too. And the same thing goes for these introductions. It seems like Paul is being very long-winded. He's saying all these things is a really necessary, Paul. We know you. But we have to look at that and say, okay, God, what's there? And when we do, when we make it relevant to Jesus, and when we pull back, even though we're on the street level now going through Titus, take a second and pull back and look at the view and pray that God can make it clear. And I guarantee you, because he wishes for us to hear his voice and to know his son Jesus, he will make it clear to you. So let's look at it and break it down. And it might seem like I'm going so close. Like, I mean, this isn't street view. Maybe I'm like staring at the concrete, you know, an inch away from the street. But that's sometimes what you have to do. You know, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Look for him. You know, when when I was growing up, I would misplace something, whether it's my homework or a toy or something. And my first instinct was not to tear my room apart looking for it. You can guess what my instinct was in terms of me and my family or in my house. As a kid, my first instinct was to yell for mom and to say, I can't find it. Or, mom, it's lost. Now that's without having even looked for it. I'm I'm confident enough to proclaim to the world It's lost. It cannot be found. And you can guess what my mom would say. Have you looked? Sounds so simple. Have you looked for it? And then what would I say? Would I be honest and say no? I'd say yes. But I hadn't. But we have to look. You have to look for what God is trying to teach you and what he's trying to tell tell you. You know, it's... Jesus talked in parables a lot, and he he explained to his disciples why he uses parables. So that it'll separate people that are really seeking the Lord and people that aren't. People that want to be spoon-fed or people that are foraging and hunting for food because they're desperate and they're starving. There's a big difference, and it translates also with how you go in the Word. Are you searching for him? Or have you just thrown up your hands, left your room, totally unsearched, and proclaimed, I can't find him. God isn't speaking. This doesn't speak to me. This must not be that relevant to me. It's not important. Next passage. What else do you have for me, God? So let's look at it. It might seem like I'm focusing so close to the ground, but sometimes you have to do it. The first first verse, the first sentence has a lot there. It says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there. The things that he's declaring, the things that he's stating in the introduction are the foundation of everything he's doing, the foundation of why he's writing this letter, the foundation of why he is a Christian, the foundation of why anyone should be a Christian and should be doing anything in the name of Jesus. And that could be going to work, that could be serving your family, your spouse, 
whatever it is, what he's setting forth in these first four verses are foundational truths about what should be your motivation and what should be your purpose and priority as a Christian. So this isn't Paul's introduction. This isn't just a Paul ID card. This needs to be our ID card. So first, a servant of God. This is not a co-worker with God. This is not a co-God with God. This is a servant, and sometimes he says slave, and typically the word translated, the original word that was used by Paul is slave. You serve. You're serving God. And in turn, you're serving Jesus. This is a servant that when God says go, he goes. And when God says stay, he stays. So first, Paul, a servant and an apostle. So an apostle, what we know is an apostle is someone who has seen the risen Jesus and has received directives from him personally. That's why we have the 12 apostles and Paul is also an apostle, but I am not an apostle. I am a disciple because I follow Jesus. But Jesus has not appeared to me resurrected and given me a specific directive. So there's a difference there. I am a servant of God. I serve my king. But I'm not an apostle like Paul. But everything is to Jesus Christ, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So first, in whatever you're doing, are you a servant? If God were to tell you, stop right now, stop doing that thing you're doing, would you stop because you serve Christ? Or would you compete for that authority? Would you compete for that control? Would you pull back and say, who are you to tell me no? That's not the heart of a servant. That's not a servant. A servant says, yes, master. Thank you, master. And again, it's not, it's not an abusive relationship. It's not an oppressive relationship. It's actually a liberating relationship, and it's an anointed relationship. But in that hierarchy, we serve Christ because he first served us. You are a servant of Jesus. Not an apostle, but you are a servant, a servant of Jesus. Then it says that Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect, for the faith of God's elect, everything you're doing, and I don't know what your job is, I don't know what your workplace is, I don't know what your passions are, I don't know what your day-to-day looks like, but as a Christian, everything you're doing is for the faith of God's elect. The end to everything you're doing, when you look at your day and you think of how you're using your money, how you're using your time and your energy, how you're using your talent and your passions, how you're directing your family, how, direct, how you're directing your social group, your ultimate end, your ultimate goal has to be to create faith in Jesus Christ for God's elect. Everything else is self-serving. Everything else is something of the world. 
But as a Christian, your end in every endeavor that you engage in should be to share the faith that you have in Jesus, to share the gift and good news of Jesus, and to unleash faith in the people around you and the places you are a part of in Jesus Christ. For the faith of God's elect, then, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So I'm going to take the first part, the knowledge of truth. So you're not just sharing blind faith. You're not just sharing a social component of your church life. You're not just sharing good advice. You're not just sharing happy people, escapism, protection from the world. That's not what you're sharing. That's not your end. Remember, your end is faith in Jesus Christ. And what is that truth? That he is the Christ. That he is the Messiah. And what did the Messiah do? He came and died for the sins of man. That's what you're sharing. In the most loving way possible, you are reaching out to the people and the places you are a part of in this world and sharing first and foremost that we have been convicted of sin, but our sin debt has been paid for by the Christ. That's where it starts. It starts with the truth that all men have fallen short, that all men have sinned, but thanks be to God for Jesus because of his blood and by his wounds, we are healed and we are welcomed back into complete unity with our creator. That's the truth. The truth is not God just loves you. God will bless you. Those are things that are true. God loves you and he will bless you. But the truth is Jesus. The truth is not, some might say, God's things, but it's God. It's not the father and his belongings, but it's the father relationship, like in the prodigal son's parable. So what you're sharing with people is the knowledge of truth that Jesus is the Christ. He is the living God. He's not a teacher. He's not someone that was a special prophet. He's not a teacher that had good advice. He was the one foretold, and we'll get to that in a second, from the beginning, like on that 70th floor view of the entire Bible, he's been prophesied repeatedly throughout Scripture. The temple points to Jesus. Moses and the exodus and the saving of God's people in Egypt points to Jesus. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus, and he is the center point, the central focal point of human history, Jesus Christ. And the tomb is empty. There's no body. Why? Because he's risen. He has conquered death. There is no more sting in death because our Savior, our Jesus Christ, is risen, and in him it is finished. That's what you're preaching. That's what you're sharing in your faith. That's the truth. And that's what Paul is doing, and that's what should be moving and motivating everything we do is the knowledge of the truth. But then, what does it say? The truth that leads to godliness. So that's where it's touching upon fruit. That by believing in the truth of Jesus Christ, what should happen in your life? You should change. Your heart should be re 
made in the image of Jesus. You are to be born again. The old is gone and the new is here. You are a new creation in Christ. There is no harmony between the old way of living and the new way of living. Your old is gone. Now, he, God will use the things that were underlying your activities in the old way. He will use skills and talents. He will use your personality, and he will anoint those in the new creation. So it doesn't mean that you have to scrap everything that you were. You know, before I became a Christian, before I followed Jesus, I loved sports. I still love sports. I listened to music that wasn't Christian, secular music. I still listen to secular music. I love comedy movies. I still love comedy movies. Now, do I have a higher intolerance for foul language? Absolutely. There are things that God does to anoint your previous passions or desires or skills or personality. But in the sense of holiness and godliness, the old is gone and the new way of Jesus is here. And like Jesus says in Matthew 7, 20, by their fruit, you will know them. So by receiving the truth that Jesus is the Christ, you come to the cross and you say, forgive me my sins. I am but a wretched man. And he reaches down to that leper who says, if you are willing, make me healed. And he says, I am willing. And he heals you because you have come to him as the Christ as the Savior of our souls, as Jesus. But it has to lead to godliness, has to lead to fruit. Then what does it say? It says, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. So you're not just going from preaching a message of heaven. That skips the truth and that skips the godliness. But heaven is part of it and heaven is where we're headed and heaven is more than just paradise in the in the common way that people think of heaven heaven is paradise but it's paradise because you have eternal fellowship with god your creator your father that's what heaven is ongoing eternal worship of your creator and a a a participation with him in that celebration, in that worship. And the hope is not just heaven, but the hope is that because of Jesus, because the curtain was torn, because there is now nothing in between us and God, because Christ has fallen under that sword, that flaming sword that protected the entrance into Eden, because Christ died, and because he took that burden on himself, and now we have a way directly to God because of him. We have the hope that we will be in a place that has no resemblance and no carryover from sin. Therefore, we have the promise of a place without sickness, without suffering, without pain, without sadness. Where God's original creation thrives. Those things in us that desire what we cannot have in this world are satisfied. Those things that make us cringe and, and feel pain in this world at a heart level 
are no more. And that's because of Jesus. So because of Jesus, we have that eternal hope, that eternal hope that there is eternal life because of him. And then next, what does it say? It says, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time and that his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our savior. So first, God does not lie. You cannot find an inconsistency or a lie in God's promises or his voice in the Bible. It cannot be found. As time passes, more and more and more of the things that we have in Scripture are being verified and not bunked or debunked. God does not lie and His promises never fail. As you go into the Word at the street level and the 70th floor level, you will find that everything is connected and everything has played out exactly the way He has said it would. We are surrounded by inconsistencies and we're surrounded by dishonesty. But when you go to God, when you go to the living God in the living word in Jesus, you will find truth eternal and truth unbreakable. And you will find that you have met the only figure in your life that will never lie to you. He will tell you truths that hurt, but he will never lie. And he will tell you truths that seem more hopeful and amazing and that they, you think they must be a lie, but they're not because the things that he has accomplished and done in history leading up to today have all come to pass. Those have all happened. So we are not dealing with a God that is guessing or a God that thinks he knows the way, but we are dealing with a God that has created all and is in all. And he doesn't lie. And he has promised what we are receiving in Jesus from the beginning of time. That's why we do the 70th floor approach to the Bible, so that we can see that, so that we're not just stuck in Titus, but that we're seeing it in Genesis, and we're seeing it in 1 Kings, we're seeing it in Ecclesiastes, you're seeing it throughout the entire scripture, that this is not something that is new or is, is unknown to God, but he has put this all in motion from the beginning to culminate in Jesus and to bring about our faith as God's elect people in Jesus Christ. So there is a there is a, a impeccable timing and design to the way we have received Jesus. And then he says to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So there is a relationship there that is intimate. There is a sonship there. However, there is equality. So this is not a father talking down to a son. This is a father giving advice and leading and raising a son, or in other words, a newer Christian. But it's in common faith. So you will have leaders in your life, men or women that are older than you or more experienced than you in their walk with Jesus. That's typically how the age thing is defined. But that doesn't mean that they lord it over you or that they are in control of your faith. Flee from those figures in your life. If anyone claims to have that kind of authority and control over your walk or your life, 
flee and rebuke it in Jesus' name because the family, the body of Jesus Christ, works in unity, in unison with every other part. And the pinky is not more important or less important than the heart. It all works together. So Paul, in one sense, is saying, I'm more experienced than you, and I'm giving you this letter. I'm writing this letter to you as someone that knows more or has seen more, but I'm sending it to you to benefit your walk because you can learn from the things I've already gone through. However, he finishes it with, this is our common faith, that in Jesus we are brothers in Christ. And that there could be a time where it flips, where even someone who is a young man, read the letters to Timothy, where Paul advises Timothy to be very gentle and respectful to the elders, but to not neglect and to not forget his calling and what God is doing in his, his life. So if you are younger in experience in Jesus, but you are seeing an elder misstep and walk away from Christ, there is also a responsibility for the younger individual to speak up because that's loving and because that's where the brotherhood comes into play or the sisterhood. So never, never surround yourselves with Christians or, or self-professed believers that lord their, their faith over you or lord their experience over you. That experience should be noted and respected, but not lorded over you or anyone else. In the end, you are united as the body of Christ and you are brothers or sisters equal in Jesus Christ. And your king, your lord, Your master is not that person, but is Jesus. It's not your pastor. It's not me. It's not anyone else. Your king is Jesus. You speak to Jesus. You bow down to Jesus. You owe everything you are to Jesus and not a man, not a person. They are your brother or sister in Christ. So there's a sense of humility there at the end of all these things we've talked about where Paul says in the end, this is our common collective faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the first four verses. That's the introduction. But if you need to re-listen to this podcast and go through it and see how foundational all these things are, it's, you know you could easily blow through these first four verses if you're reading Titus in your Bible reading plan. You think, oh, this is an easy day. I can get this one, one whole letter done in an afternoon. Because typically I only read three chapters in an afternoon. You can easily fall into that mentality that this is going to be a quick day. But think about what you'd miss. Those first four verses. The foundation of what it means to be a Christian and how you ought to be viewing your role and your service to the world and the people around you. So re-listen to it if you need to. If you took notes, go through it. Go through the scriptures on your own and read those first four verses. Read the context of the letter. Do some 70th floor reading. Go somewhere else. I mean, the things we talked about, those are pillars. Those are pillar truths of Christianity. 
So I'm excited to be going through this letter with all of you, and I hope that uh, that God blesses you and 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 that the Holy Spirit illuminates these things for you. But uh, there's a lot here, and I'm excited to be going through it. So um, let's go ahead and pray and, and finish off this podcast. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this this podcast. I thank you for the people that are listening. Bless them, guide them, and lead them into the truth of your Son Jesus. I thank you for revealing and uh, and displaying truths to us in these four verses. Um, Lord, you are good and you provide abundantly for those who ask. So I thank you, Lord, for providing abundantly. And I ask that all of the things we talked about go deep into our soul, into our spirits, and help us to grow and transform into the image of your son, Jesus, more and more day by day. And in Jesus's name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so we'll leave it there for this week's episode of the Moldboard Podcast. Again, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, we've taken a few weeks off, so thank you for your patience. Um, it's uh, it's something I try to get through every week, but I thank you for uh, for waiting, and I'm excited again to be going through Titus with all of you. If you have any questions about Titus or any other scriptures, again, please uh, send those to me at mobilewordministry at gmail.com. And I would love to uh, discuss those with you or include your questions in the podcast. But until next time, enjoy the word and God bless. Thank you.